Happy New Year, Bridge. You guys are good. <laughs> Let's celebrate New Year, man. What's the cool thing? Is it, is it as hard for you to believe as it is to me that 2018 is over? Here we are at the end of it. This is the last Sunday morning service of 2018. What an amazing year it's been. The first full year of my privilege of serving you as pastor. And what an amazing uh, journey that has been for us and for our family. And so we thank you again uh, just from the depths of our being the privilege of being here and standing with you today. But, but I had a, a thought that the Lord put in my spirit. It's kind of interesting how God does things. Um, you know, you look back on it and you see his hand. Sometimes you don't see it at the time. I wanted so desperately to be here uh, on December 23rd, what we consider to be Christmas Sunday here at the church. And I just got up Saturday morning and all I could do was whisper. I mean, that's all I had. My voice was gone. Pastor Andy, an amazing man of God, stepped up and stepped in and did a, a fabulous job last Sunday of bringing the words, particularly with short notice. Uh, and so I said, tell you what, Andy was going to preach today. That's why I did live and uh, the video announcements. And so I tell you what, uh, you take New Year's weekend with your family and I'll preach on the 30th. And I really just wanted to be here. But anyway, uh, here, here's the thought that was, uh, that's been in my head ever since I had that conversation with Andy. Going into 2019 and, and, the, and all the stuff that's associated with the new year, and we always talk about goal setting and resolutions and what's the year going to hold and you know, all that stuff. Um, I, I just want to ask a question this morning. Uh, at the end of this year, are, are, there any, are there any limits that you are imposing on your own life that you're taking with you into 2019? Ponder that for a minute. Um, let, me, let me make it practical for a second, okay? Let, let's say in running, if, if I said, hey, y'all guys, let's all get up and let's go out Whitley Church Road and let's all line up, how many of you could run 10 feet? Come on, show me your hands. How many could run 10 feet? How many of you could do 100? How about 1,000? How, how about 10K? How many of you could do a 10K? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I see. It's, 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 uh, who, who decided how far you could go? How was that determined? I mean, in my earlier days, I was quite a runner, and I spent a lot of time on the road and, you know, 15, uh, 12, 15 miles a week kind of thing, and, and I had this idea of what I could do, and I was always pushing for personal best. I remember one particular day, I was out for a run, and I was going after a personal best. I was going to do a six-mile run at an eight-minute pace, and for me, that was fabulous, and so here I am, and I'm going to do it. It's the first time I've ever done that before, and as we were in the Philippines at the time, and this Filipino guy came running up beside me and slowed down to my pace and said, hey, how you doing? And I said, yeah, man, good to see you. Can't really talk. I'm focused in on, you know, getting my personal best, the best run of my life. Here we go. And, and so we're, we're running along. And, and I said, so what, what are you doing today? He said, well, I'm training. I said, what are you training for? Oh, I'm training for the 24-hour marathon. So I didn't know there was such a thing. Have you, have you heard of this thing? Uh, he said, yeah, I did it last year. I said, well, how far did you go? I did 160 kilometers. That's 100 miles in 24 hours, okay? And, uh, and I said, that's not humanly possible. He said, well, apparently it is. I'm, I'm going to beat it this year. And so I said, I got to go. And, and so he took off. And I'm, I'm going, ah, my personal best. And he's just zoom. He's off in the distance. Who decided that he could run like that and I could only run like this? Well, obviously, there were some physical things involved. But if you've done any running, you know there's a whole lot of mental things involved in it too. How about income? Uh, don't raise your hand. Don't respond to this one. But, but based on what you believe your abilities and opportunities to be, uh, could you make 10 bucks a day? 
Could you make 20 bucks a day? Could you make 100 bucks a day? Could you make 1,000 bucks a day? I mean, what, what are the limits to your income? My sister and I, uh, Sandra's about a year and a half older than I am. We went to school, so we went to school together. Uh, we, uh, we made about the same grades through school, and, and, uh, and then we finished school, and we both went to college. And, and afterwards, uh, Sandra went on to law school, and I went to seminary. How many of you believe Sandra has made more money than me over the years? Understand, no, no regrets on my part, but I made a choice. Here's what I want you to hear me say. I made a choice that set a direction that determined limits to my income. No regrets, but you're tracking with me, right? So with that kind of in mind, uh, let me ask it this way. How many of you have limits in terms of your level of intimacy with God? I mean, I can't imagine that anybody wants limits. I can't imagine that any of you are sitting there saying, man, I love the idea of praying and nothing happens. I just like that. I just want it to be that way. I like the idea of wondering whether God likes me or not. I love that. You know, I, that's who I am, buddy. I, I love the fact that I think God is out to get me and I'm hiding from him right now like Adam and Eve did. I like that. that that's what I want. None of us really want any of these kind of limits with God. And yet, we all make choices determine the level of intimacy that we have with him. So as we come to the end of 2018 and enter into a whole new year, I want to ask that question again. Just having given you a little context, I want to ask that question again. What limits are you taking from 2018 into 2019, specifically limits on your intimacy with God, your power with God, and God operating freely in your life and using you to bless others, what limits are you setting on him? And perhaps even more importantly, is it time to raise the bar? Is it time to go to the next level? Is it time to say I'm tired of those limits and I want to go all the way to intimacy with God? I want to illustrate that with a story from the Old Testament that may or may not be familiar to you, uh, but I hope that you can pick up on the threads of it uh, at the end of the day, I just want us to ask ourselves that question. I want to make some decisions today, okay? By the way, we're starting a whole new series next week that I'm really excited about. We're simply calling it Confidence, and then we're going to be talking about where does confidence come from, uh, how, what are the keys to being a confident person, how do you give confidence away. I'm just really excited about the month of January as we lean into this idea of being the confident people that I believe God's called us to be, and I hope you'll plan to be here. If you know somebody struggles with insecurity, get them in church starting next Sunday throughout the month of January, and let's learn about confidence from a biblical uh, understanding and biblical perspective, okay? So let's go into it. How many of you have ever heard of the man Solomon? Anybody heard of Solomon? You heard of that guy? Uh, he's said to have been the smartest man of his day. He was certainly the wealthiest man of his day. He was king of Israel at the, in its golden years at the time when its fame and wealth and military might were at its strongest points. But way before that point, when Solomon was a very young man, he had an intimate relationship with God. In fact, it was so intimate with God that God looked at him one day and said, Solomon, tell me what you want. Anything you want, I'll give it to you. And again, Solomon could have asked for anything. He could have asked for fame and riches and wealth and, and all that kind of stuff. But what he asked for was, you know what, I, I want to be a wise king. When I step into that role, when dad says it's time for me to step out and you're in, son, I want, I want wisdom. I, I want to know the difference between right and wrong. I want to know 
uh, the difference between truth and, and live, counterfeit and real. I want, I want to have wisdom in the way I apply the knowledge that we have. And so God says, okay, I'll give you that wisdom, and I'm going to give you all the other stuff too you didn't even ask for. And so God set him up to blessing. And so the result is that Solomon became known as the richest, smartest, most famous man alive in his, in his day. But by the time we get to 1 Kings chapter 11, we begin to see a chink in Solomon's armor, one that if he doesn't deal with, it's going to cost him, and frankly, it's going to cost everybody around him. So if you got your Bible or you got to the Bridge NC app, you can call it up there or look on the screens. I want us to get into the Scriptures, 1 Kings chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. Let me read it to you. You follow along. King Solomon loved many foreign women. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, stalagmites and stalactites and gazuntites and, and all those ites. Oh, that's not in there? Okay. Sorry. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. If you're taking notes this morning, circle that word, asterisk that word, nevertheless. You need to stop here for a minute can, can, and just imagine with me. Can you imagine, <coughs> excuse me, here's the smartest guy on the planet, and he's telling an all-powerful God, I know what I'm doing, I know you're saying no, I will probably crash and burn for doing this, but nevertheless, I'm going to do it anyway. I mean, how stupid is that? I mean, verse 3 says he married 700 women and had 300 mistresses besides. How stupid is that? Can I tell you guys, the first time I read that, I thought, man, how in the world can, can a man whose, whose life has been blessed so dramatically by God, he's honored God and God's honored him, how in the world, I mean, it could have been a fairy tale ending, but then there's that nevertheless that he's holding on to. God says, don't do this one thing. Don't marry these foreign women. Now, be, now, let me be clear, that's not an injunction against interracial marriage. That's not what that's about. It's about these foreign women had had false gods, and God knew that if, they brought, if he brought them into his household and into his heart, they would bring their beauty with them, but they would bring their false faith with them as well. They would ultimately turn their hearts against God. That's what it was about. It's about intermarriage in terms of faith, not race. Point is, that's exactly what they did. So the first thing I thought is, man, Solomon, if you're so smart, why would you do such a dumb Thing And then my second thought was this, oh, Jimmy, old boy, if the smartest man in the world fell into that trap, then what are the odds that I'm going to avoid it? That I'm going to spend a whole lifetime and I'm going to get it right. That I'm not going to mess things up. I mean, dude, if you're smart at all, you better identify what your nevertheless is and you better do something about it. Anybody with me? Because in case you haven't noticed, I'm not as bright as Solomon was. I mean, some things I come up with are just short of genius, and sometimes they're dumb as dirt. <laughs> if you don't believe it, ask Kim. She'll be glad to tell you. She helps me pick them out sometimes. So if I'm smart enough to know that let me run it past her before I go public, I've saved myself an awful lot of grief. So if he fouled up his legacy in the end, what makes me think I won't wind up in a ditch too? 
And can we just be honest about this thing? I know an awful lot of pastors, an awful lot of preachers who ran well for three quarters and in the fourth quarter stumbled and fumbled. So I was a young man the first time I read this. I was in Bible college. I mean, this is almost 50 years ago when I read this thing, and, I, and it hit me. I better do something about this. So I called my mentor, Dr. Herbert Carter, whom I've mentioned many times, and I told him about my discovery. And, of course, he had made it many times ago uh, in his own life. And I asked him if he'd help me to figure out what my nevertheless was. And he agreed to do that. And he said, but, Jim, you don't understand this is not a one-time deal. At every season of life and every stage of life, you're going to have to stop and check up and, and say, you got a, have you picked up a new nevertheless? So he agreed to be my accountability partner, and he was for years. I could pick up the phone and call him and say, sir, I need to see you. And he would say, come on. And, and uh, I thanked him profusely for his investment in me in those years because I needed that accountability partner to figure out what my nevertheless was. I had the privilege a few years ago of leading the altar ministries at a Billy Graham crusade. Mr. Graham was not able to be there, so Franklin did the preaching. But Cliff Barrows was there, and, uh, and Cliff spoke to all the workers one night, and he told the story about the Modesto Manifesto. Some of you are familiar with that. It's in the days when Billy Graham's ministry was just getting started, and, and Cliff Barrows and George Beverly Shea and and Mr. Graham were, were, were kind of working together, each with an area of ministry. And they, just, and they recognized that there were a lot of ministries in those days that were taking on the national stage, and a lot of them were failing. And so they decided they would get together and figure out what caused them to fail, and then they would set up boundaries so that they could avoid those kind of traps. They understood that if they allowed a nevertheless to slip into their lives, that they would lose this favor that they clearly had been picked up from, from God. And so they agreed in this manifesto uh, that they would guard one another in the areas of integrity, financial accountability, and sexual purity. And so they said they would never exaggerate numbers. They would always make sure there was plenty of financial accountability. All they'd ever do is draw a salary from the ministry. They would never do any more than that, and it would be a, a fair salary. Mr. Graham was running a $50 million a year operation and took a $103,000 a year salary. I mean, this is, you know, it's just that they maintain integrity and all that stuff. And sexual purity, they agreed they would never be alone with a female outside their immediate family, ever. They wouldn't even ride an elevator with a female. And you may think that's strict, and, and you may think that's really tough, and that's being highly conservative. But here, here I know, uh, 60 years later, they preached the gospel to a billion people, and their integrity never was impugned once. So the guys that tell me I'm being too strict when I set those kind of boundaries for myself, I say don't, don't pay any attention to them because they're all divorced now. <laughs> that's, that's all I know. Hear me, if the smartest guy in history couldn't avoid falling into this trap and if Billy Graham felt that he needed some accountability in this area, then who am I to be so arrogant as to think I can't fall? Who are you to think you can't limit your intimacy with God too? So in the next few minutes, what I want to do as quickly as I can, <laughs> I mean, I've made my point. I just want to help you to apply it. I'm going to give you three things that are absolutely necessary if you're going to avoid the trap that Solomon fell into. If you want to remove the barriers to limiting the intimacy, go into 2019 saying, I will, I, I will take advantage of every favor that God has for me. I will be intimate with him. There's three things you've got to do. Number one, I need to identify my nevertheless. 
Say it with me. I need to identify my nevertheless. One more time. I need to identify my nevertheless. Now, that sounds simple enough, but here's the problem. Uh, I have uh, an uncanny ability to pick out your nevertheless. I kind of stink at seeing my own. Anybody with me? God bless that hand. I see that hand. I do. I mean, I just, you know, if I had been watching Solomon uh, back then, I'd have figured out what was going wrong. I mean, by the time he had 250 wives and 50 concubines, I'd have probably said, whoa, Solly, uh, dude, come on, time out. I mean, I'm just bright like that. I just, I've seen a pattern here. You know, it's a gift. What can I say? I know, for instance, some of you, if I could be so bold as your pastor, have enthusiasm for things that have no eternal value to a level that you are impacting your intimacy with God. I see it. I hear it in your conversations. I know what's going on. Others of you want very much to claim to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, but, but you've got this streak of, uh, of control issues. Well, I'll handle this. I'll, t- I'll call God if I need him, but I got this. And in so doing, you're limiting what Jesus can do in your life because you won't just let go and let him be Lord in your life. Some of you are limiting intimacy with God because you're afraid to really just press into that because you don't know where it's going to take you and, and it would stretch your comfort zone and you're not sure you're, you're willing to know where you're going to risk that. I'm comfortable. No way I'm going to let anybody else in on my internal monologue so that they might help me figure out what my nevertheless is. No way I'm going to do that. I mean, I can usually, in a few minutes in conversation with you guys, I can usually pick up some of these kind of things. Maybe it's a gift of discernment. Maybe it's because I'm a pastor, maybe, I don't know. Uh, all I'm saying is that my challenge, and I suspect yours, is not in identifying other people's nevertheless. It's in looking objectively enough at ourselves that we identify our own. I figured out a long time ago, I got some blind spots. And blind spots by very nature are blind until something or someone points them out to you so you can see them. I think that's why the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. I like the way the message paraphrases it. Test yourselves to make sure you're solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus is in you. Test it out. If you fail the test, what? Do something about it. In other words, if you identify a nevertheless, do something about it. Now, we'll see in a minute why that's so important, but for now, let me help you. (coughs) Let me help you just a little bit in this journey of how you might be able to identify your nevertheless, okay? Luke chapter 2, verse 52 talks about Jesus in those days when he was a young man. He just, just... left his parents and went down to the temple to teach at age 12 and, and amazed all of the doctors and scribes there. And, uh, and then it says after that point, leading up to the time that he began his public ministry at age 30, scriptures say Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Do you see four areas of life where Jesus grew? He grew mentally. He grew physically. He grew spiritually. He grew relationally. 
So in all four of those kinds of areas, if Jesus needed to grow in those areas to come to that place of public ministry, then wouldn't it stand to reason that if we're going to be like Christ, we have to grow in those four areas and that maybe we ought to challenge ourselves every now and then in all four of those areas to say, how am I doing? When it comes to mentally, what are you feeding your mind? What are you feeding your mind? I mean, if, if you're sitting watching TV and movies and reading novels all the time and, and spending a couple of minutes in the Word or hearing a 30- or 40-minute sermon every Sunday and, and comparing those two things, you've got to stop and ask yourself, what am I feeding my mind? What thoughts am I holding on to? You understand that your battle for intimacy with God starts in the mind. It's a mental battle first. You get that? I mean, if you've decided to go on a diet and somebody hands you a chocolate chip cookie, where does the battle start? Starts in your head. I'm not going to eat that cookie. I'm not going to eat that cookie. I'm not going to eat that cookie. That cookie doesn't even look good. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. I'm not going to eat it. Too many calories. I'm not going to eat it. That's the battles in your mind before it ever gets to your hand where you pick it up and put it in your mouth. So what are you thinking physically? What are you doing to your body? This temple that God has given us, what are you doing to your body? T.D. Jakes wrote a book a number of years ago when he had lost 200 pounds. And, and on the cover, I never read the book, but I read the back cover of the book. T.G. Uh, Jakes said he, he, he had a dream and he was standing before God. And God said, T.D., you are standing before me in heaven before I was finished with you on earth because you didn't take care of yourself. Whoo, got my attention. So what are you doing Physically. Most of you know I lost 50 pounds last year. Why did I do that? Because I took on this new assignment. I said, I better be physically able to do it. You've got to think, what am I doing to my body in terms of intimacy? How about spiritually? What's my prayer life like? What's my worship like? Do I really engage God? And not just while we're singing songs on Sunday morning, but an act of service is an act of worship. Obedience is the highest form of worship. How's your worship going these days? How about relationally? You carrying any grudges? It's time to lay down? Walking around with unforgiveness? Excusing it under your circumstances? Rationalizing it away, which is just another way of telling yourself rational lies about it? You see, you start looking at it from that kind of a lens. You start identifying, you know, i got some neverthelesses I better do something about. You start identifying what those things are. What I'm trying to say to you is that we put le- limits on our level of intimacy with God by the choices that we make, and we all have a tendency to have blind spots and even knowing what our nevertheless is, and that's why we got to have some people in our lives that we know and trust who will hold up a spiritual mirror and say, you know, here, here's what I'm seeing. Do you think that has merit to you? I mean, it's why it's one of the reasons, at least why we put so much emphasis on bridge groups. You heard in the announcements uh, with the highest number of bridge groups this past year in our history, more than 600 people registered for groups. January is promotional month. We'll be signing up for groups for the winter semester of February, March, and April. If you didn't get in a group yet, get in one, sign up for one. The catalog will be coming out in, in another week or so, and there's just a whole range, 50-plus groups you can pick, women's groups, men's groups, co-ed groups, uh, just studies of all kinds. Get in a group and be in a group. It's, it is about studying, but it's about building relationships that go beyond looking in the back of somebody's head while I stand here and preach. 
the end of the day, that's what it's about. And you get into that, and ultimately somebody reaches across the, the coffee table and says, you know, have you thought about this or have you thought about that? You know, I see this in your life. Are you doing okay? Something happens in those intimate trust kinds of relationships that simply don't happen anywhere else. I would love to have a, make an appointment with all of you and sit down and say, okay, let me tell you what your nevertheless is. But I don't know you well enough to do that. And quite frankly, if I spent an hour with each of you, I'd get to some of you by 2023. I mean, you know, we've got to get into a bridge group. We've got to get into a group of people that we can build relationship with. Sounds scary? Yeah, sometimes. So we use euphemisms like I would, but I'm too busy. I, I, I would, but I get too much going on. But at the end of the day, it's just scary to work on that level of intimacy. So let me give you a little motivator. Let's go back to Solomon, a little motivator. First, let's go back to chapter 11, verse 4 this time. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. Do you see what happened? God said it would happen, and it did. He said, if you don't get rid of this thing, this is what's going to happen. Nevertheless, Solomon said, I don't care. I want it. And it happened just exactly the way God said it would happen. So if you're struggling to embrace the idea of identifying your nevertheless, then you need number two, which is I need to understand the cost of my nevertheless. Here's the statement from the Scriptures that blows me away every time I read it. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 9 and 11, the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you. I mean, obviously, having a kingdom taken away is not, not a normal context for us. So let me put that in context for us, okay? Imagine average guy and gal, Joe and his wife, Jane, nice folks. They come to the bridge, Princeton, one Sunday morning, and they discover that Jesus loves them and has a plan for their lives. They discover that there is grace available no matter what's going on in their lives, and they embrace grace and step across the line of faith. They invite Jesus into their lives, and they start a wonderful journey. They got their ticket stamped for heaven, tucked it away, start attending church on a regular basis, drop a few bucks in the offering plate now and then, maybe even open their Bible now and then, read a little bit. Maybe even signed up for the ownership class and, and considered maybe I'll do a bridge group. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. But six months in, um, they're pretty much living the same lives as they did before. Oh, they're going to church. They've added that, but their values haven't changed. Their lifestyle is still the same. They're still holding uh, people at arm's length, and they're still holding on to the same old hurts. So nothing else has really changed. They just kind of added church to the mix. And then one day they do a little inventory and they do a little come to a conclusion. They say, well, you know, okay, well, you know, probably not there yet. Uh, but, you know, I'm about 20% devoted to God. You know, that's 20% more than it was six months ago. That's 20% more than a lot of people I know. And so they say, well, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. But then this passage comes along, and they're confronted with the reality that God doesn't just want church attendance. He doesn't just want you to join a serve team and drop a few bucks in the offering plate. He wants your heart. 
All of that stuff is just evidence of something that's going on in here. And if it isn't going on in here, that stuff don't mean a hill of beans. In fact, let me put it as bluntly as I know how. In God's economy, partial devotion is not devotion at all. You understand why that's true, don't you? Follow me for a minute, okay? Imagine four women who have been betrayed by the men they love. First of all, we've got a 17-year-old girl, and her heartthrob of two weeks decides that he has eyes for another. She's crushed. She feels betrayed. Got it? Second lady is 27 years old. She's dated a guy for four years. She learns that he's had a secret love flame for a long time, and, uh, but he just hasn't worked up the nerve to tell her, and she's crushed. Got it? Third lady is 37 years old. She's been married for 15 years, and she discovers that her husband has had an office flirtation and an emotional attachment to a lady at work. Her heart's broken. She feels betrayed. Got it? Fourth lady is 57 years old, got three kids and seven grandchildren, thought she was happily married for life, but after 35 years of marriage, she discovered that her husband, father of her kids, grandfather of her precious, precious grandbabies, has had a lady on the side for years. She's crushed. Who has the greatest right to feel betrayed? I mean, all of them on some level for sure. But if you're putting levels on it, it's got to be the 57-year-old who's invested everything for most of her life, right? Because the greater the investment you make in a loving relationship, the greater the hurt will be if there's ever betrayal. Do I need to say that again? The greater the investment you make in a loving relationship, the greater the hurt will be if there's ever a betrayal. That's just the way life and love Works. So why is God so strong, even heartbroken, when we show him less than full devotion? Well, it's because he's fully invested in us. He's all in. He's poured it all into us. From his side, he's given us the blood of his very son, his love, his care, his answered prayer, his grace over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, provision and and, and, and blessing and forgiveness and power for living. He's given it all to us. I'm, I can almost hear God saying to Solomon, it doesn't show up in the text, but, but when he says, I'm going to take the kingdom away, I can almost hear God saying subliminally, Solomon, how could you have done this? I gave you the throne. You asked for wisdom, I gave it to you, but I gave you riches too, and I gave you fame too. I gave you every grace, and what do I get in return? I mean, you turn your back on me? You do the one thing I ask you not to do? What's the deal, Solomon? Did I not do enough for you? Did I not love you enough? What's the deal, Solomon? Why would you do that? I mean, you see, that's God's problem if you can call it that. He always chooses full devotion to us. So anything less than full devotion back is a slap in the face. I have to tell you, I remember vividly the first time I grasped this as a very young man. And I remember thinking to myself, you know what, Jim, if you're going to do this, 
Anything less than 100% devotion just ain't going to cut it. Just, that's it. I mean, can you imagine if uh, 43 years ago, when I proposed, 44 years ago now, when I proposed marriage to Kim, if I had said to her, I love you, you are the love of my life, I'm so thankful God put you in my life, if you will marry me, I will be faithful to you on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays for the rest of my life. How do you think that would work out? So for me, and Jesus, I said, you point, I'll follow. You say, don't, I won't. I'm all in. And I'm not suggesting for a moment I've always got it right because I haven't. But when I realize I'm getting it wrong, I'm back on my face saying, God, you've given me so much. How can I give you anything less than all? And he took that 19-year-old boy from a small town in North Carolina, fewer people in that town than there are in this church, and he's blessed me more than I can imagine. He's given me an amazing wife that stood with me traveling the world. He's given me three amazing sons, one of whom's in heaven, and I'm so incredibly proud of the life that he lived, though he was taken too soon. I Three granddaughters whom I love deeply, and they love me back, and and they know who Jesus is, and they love him. And soon be eight, that's a hint, eight grandbabies of whom I am increasingly proud, and I'd be glad to show you pictures anytime you want to see them. He's given me health and material blessings and, and the privilege of leading this amazing church. He's given me influence in other churches and pastors. I'm leaving for Oklahoma City next week to speak to the bishops of our denomination just to say, guys, here's what you need to be doing next. And they've asked me to come and tell them what amazing influence he's given me, this opportunities, and, and, and tons more blessings beyond that point. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting to you that I've lived a charmed life. I know pain. I know anguish like everybody else, but, but the blessings upon blessings upon blessings that overshoot and overarch all of that stuff tells me anything less than 100% devotion is short. Put it another way, 95% devotion is 5% short. Can't give him anything less. And I'm begging you this morning to consider the same to not be satisfied with anything less than 100% devotion. I will not put limits on my intimacy with God, not for misguided loyalties, not for confusing ideas, not for fear or mistrust or doubt. I will not put limits on my intimacy with God. He's all in. I'm all in too. Which leads me to the third thing, and I'll bring this to a close. If you're serious about removing the limits to intimacy with God, then you've got to identify your nevertheless. I didn't say find out if you have one. I said identify it or them. Two, you've got to do something about it. And finally, number three, I need to leave my nevertheless at the cross. I'm going to leave it at the cross. i got to close, but before I do, fast forward with me 
to the end of Solomon's life. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes near the end. And here's what he said in chapter four, one, chapter one, verse 14. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. The last chapter of his book, 12. Now everything has been heard. Here's my final advice. Honor God and obey his commands. This is the most important thing people can do. God knows everything people do, even the things done in secret. He knows all the good and all the bad, and he will judge everything people do. I'm not suggesting for a moment that your salvation is by works. It's not. It's by grace. But I'm saying, having received the grace of God, anything less than 100% devotion is short. Partial devotion is not devotion at all. So, let's go back to my first question and we'll close. What limits are you putting on your intimacy with God? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us, read it with me, here we go, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. What do you say? say let's make 2019 a year of full devotion see what God does let's pray all I'm asking Lord is what David asked of so long ago turn your searchlight on me see if there be some wicked way lead me to the way everlasting My confession to you, Lord, is that quite often I don't even know what my nevertheless is. I think I'm doing pretty good. Then every now and then somebody will ask a question or I'll get into a conversation. And Holy Spirit will speak to me and say, Jim, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about that? Lord, when that still, small voice comes, help me not to reject it, push it away. Help me to embrace it and say, I will not live with any nevertheless. Whisper it with me, guys, but say it to him. I will not live with any nevertheless. I will not. I will not. In Jesus' name. Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. I want you to say that simple prayer with me this morning, and I'll let you go. Just go something like this. Say it in your own words if you like. The altars will be open in a minute. You can pray with somebody before you leave here, but at least say this prayer with me, okay? God, you show me. My answer to you is yes. If it's something I need to stop doing, I'll stop. If it's something I need to start doing, I'll start. 
If there's something I'm holding on to I need to let go of, I'll let go. My commitment to you, sir, is that 95% devotion is 5% short. I will not hold back. In Jesus' name.